That's a good reason to lose your voice, isn't it? <laughs> Singing with all of your heart. Isaiah chapter 9, beloved. Isaiah chapter 9. His name, all oppression shall cease. <sighs> if only the world understood, if only men could see. We come to Isaiah. In fact, we're going to read a little back in chapter 8 from verse 19, but our text is in chapter 9 this evening. As we continue on our texts of Messiah, Isaiah chapter 8, we'll read from verse 19, and read through into chapter 9, and the end of verse 7. Isaiah 8, verse 19, And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits. And unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God, for the living to the dead, to the law and to the testimony? If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And they shall pass through it, hardly bestead and hungry, and it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. They shall look on to the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation, and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. And may the Lord bless His Word to us. Let's still our hearts in prayer. Let's look to Him. If you're here tonight and you're not sure whether you're saved, you don't know if you know the Lord or not, then we are particularly thinking of you this evening. And may the Lord open your eyes. Lord, please, we pray Thee, help us. Help us to joy in the fact that in His name all oppression shall cease. There may be those here tonight that feel that oppression for various reasons. Help them to turn toward Christ. Even thy people at times that feel various circumstances and seasons that press upon them, may they learn to turn to Christ. Lord, I pray that Thou wilt help those especially that have never believed, never been saved. They may think that they're saved. They may imagine they are saved. But maybe they have never truly come to know Christ. They are as many were during the ministry of Christ Himself. They were blinded and they didn't even know it. So remove such scales from eyes, such darkness from the soul. 
And give utterance in the Holy Ghost tonight. Give us power. O oh, sweet Spirit of God, take this instrument of clay and weakness and grant us authority and unction that makes the difference and extends the kingdom of Christ. Hear prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my greatest desires for this flock, for all the people of God, is that we would live in constant appreciation for what Christ has done. That we would never get to the point where we are no longer expressing deep appreciation for our Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to share our testimonies freely, testimonies of salvation, testimonies of intervention, testimony of grace through difficulties, of joy in trials, and of gain despite loss. We need to hear it. We need to hear from one another. One of the instruments in the arsenal of the devil is to tell us that no one's ever been where you are. And what you're going through is unique, and there's nothing that can be done to help you. And it's not true. And if we would just share, take the time to share, even ask the question, what's the Lord doing in your life? Or even to inquire for help, seek help, as we acknowledge that we're going through trials and, and in our heads we're, we're battling with this whole thing and what we're going through, just by, saying, just by saying something to someone, you may immediately get the response, I know exactly what that's like. To be filled with appreciation, to recognize our weakness, to acknowledge our nothingness, and our constant dependence upon Christ is a spirit that must pervade the church that the Lord loves. If we want His favor, if we want Him to come as He has promised, where He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, then this is the kind of spirit we want to cultivate. And, and we have it in a measure, beloved, but I, I, speak, I speak as Paul did at times when he would say, he would say something to the church, and he would say, as ye do. So, so they're, they're doing it. It's there in an essence, and yet he's still giving charge to continue in the same vein. The context of our passage is relevant here as we recognize the northern kingdom is about to be attacked by Assyria. Last week we were a, little a couple of chapters uh, previous to this, but it's, the circumstances are somewhat similar and the tribes of Neb, Neb, uh, Zebulun and Naphtali, in verse 1 of chapter 9, you see them mentioned. Uh, they, are, they are part of the region of Galilee, which then again gets mentioned in chapter 1 at the end, Galilee of the nations. And so the threat is coming upon them. They are uh, sensing this, this threat of captivity. You can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 15. And, and yet despite this, despite this period of trial and difficulty and captivity, they are given, there, there is this, this mixed message, as it were, where here's the trial, here's the present judgment, but undergirding it is a message of hope and encouragement as well. And sometimes you read these passages and you, you, you kind of are trying to figure out what's going on. This sounds like judgment, and then this sounds like it's good, and why would that be mixed? But our Lord did this all the time. He did it all the time. In, in the same sentence, He would talk about you know, the, the broad is the way that leads to destruction, and straight is the way that leads to life. And, and he, would, he would bring contrasting experiences into the same conversation. And so it is with the prophets. They are delivering a message of, yes, here's what's happening to some, but here is what also will occur, especially to those who are the remnant, who look and believe. And so when you come to verse 2, which is the verse we want to consider, that's where Handel brings us next, Isaiah 9, verse 2, "...the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shine." I want you to see that specifically this is a word to those in Galilee, in the region of Galilee, in the area of Galilee, north of Judea. And now we know our Lord Jesus was born in Bethlehem, as prophesied. And so he fulfills that prophecy, but we also know that he grew up in Nazareth. 
And it's into this region then this word is given. This people that walked in darkness, this people of Galilee, amidst their darkness a light comes. And this, of course, speaks of Christ. Now no one was expecting, well, at least most were not expecting this. Remember when Philip came to Nathaniel and he's seeking to win his soul? We read of it in John 1. Verse 45, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? <laughs> Can there? Is it possible in that northern region, that area there in Galilee, is it, is it possible anything good would come out of there? Of course, Philip's response is, come and see. He's not getting into debate. Maybe he knows that Nathaniel is, is more adept in, in Scripture, more capable in Scripture, and Philip, rather than getting into a scriptural debate about whether or not this can be, uh, can be supported by Scripture, he said, look, just come. Just come and see. See it for yourself. And so he does. And this passage, then, is one passage that Philip may have turned to. I may have said, well, well, yes, of course, look, right here. Here, in, in Galilee, in that region, in that place of darkness, there is a light that comes. Those that are in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. So it was light in an unexpected place. Those in Judea, those in Jerusalem, they would expect religious favor. They not only expected it, they demanded it. God was obligated to bless Jerusalem. God was obligated to give His favor there. So all the holy men would, would want to be there, be in Jerusalem. And for good reason, for other, other things that could be said. But here, 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 the light is said to arise in an unexpected place. We have grown so accustomed to where we find the light today. And what nation do you wish to go to to find the light of gospel truth? Choose a nation in which to be born that might expose you to the gospel. And I can tell you now, 2,000 years ago, you would not have chosen that place. And so in unexpected places, still to this day, the light shines. Right here in Greenville, the light shines. Go back far enough, it did not. But now it does. And the Lord is pleased to come to unexpected places, to places that others might look on and say, they don't deserve it. This is part of what is to awaken the Jew. It is their envy. Their envy at the favor of God upon the Gentile. They look and see the favor. They, they behold, they discern they discern that God is moving, God is acting, God is blessing Gentiles. Paul says this works an envy in their hearts that will lead at least some of them to repentance. So tonight then we're considering light in unexpected places. Light in unexpected places. And I want us to consider this text in a very simple fashion. My concern this evening is for you that may that may not really know or be aware that you are saved. You have no sense of assurance, or the assurance that you have is built upon a faulty premise. You are, as Scripture speaks of, you're those that, that are hiding under a refuge of lies. You think it's a refuge. You think your upbringing, you think your life, you think your religious activity... You believe your associations, your name, your work, your heritage, the country you come from, the prayer you offered, all of these things and many other things are legitimate arguments that would say, I have no problem with God, or rather, God has no problem with me. Well, you need to, you need as those in Christ's time to see the true light, and come to that same light. Note with me then, first of all, the great darkness. The great darkness. The people that walked 
in darkness. The people that walked in darkness. Two things to note here. First, it is an acceptable existence for natural man. This, this walking in darkness is an acceptable existence for natural man. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. This brings us to the beginning of Christ's ministry. We'll read from verse 12. So he has been in the wilderness, being tempted 40 days by the devil. And then he commences his ministry proper. So Matthew 4 verse 12 says, And when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali. So, so you're in this area that's spoken of. And verse 14 says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What I want you to see is these are a people that are living in darkness and for the most part, they don't even know it. They're not even aware of the problem. And so it's not like they're looking for Christ. It's not like as He comes into their region, they all run to Him and say, yes, yes, the long-expected light has arrived. Here He is. And they all rush out to see Him. Instead, he is confronted with crowds of people that are full of unbelief and doubt. And he has to call them to repentance. That's the message that he declares. Verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent. Turn from your wickedness. Turn from your sin. Turn from your unbelief. Turn from your condition of finding a, a comfortable existence amidst your darkness. The light has come. And so you see then how, how at this very point Christ begins His ministry. So, so again, this, this, is, this, is, this is why you, you have this as we think of this time of the year and the arrival of Christ. He begins His ministry in such a way that is fulfilling Isaiah 9-2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. That's what's taking place. Christ is born so that He might be a light in places that weren't even looking for Him, weren't even expecting Him to arise. And these people, they live like so many of us. They just, they just coast along accepting this, this condition of darkness. The people that walked in darkness, even the language gives a sense like they're just continuing their life in a state of darkness without any concern. They're just walking through life, walking through every stage of their existence without ever considering the condition they're in. And of course, this is, this is natural to us. This is natural to every one of us. Turn to Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2. You may be here and you think, well, preacher, I, I, don't, I don't like darkness. I'm, I'm not really interested in darkness. But here's the thing, unless you have been converted, converted, that is, changed, transformed by the Spirit, you're still, you're still in a condition of darkness. And you actually, you actually have no problem with it. So Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul writes to this, this city, the church that was in this large city of Ephesus, and in his, his accounting to them and teaching them, about the gospel, he reminds them of their natural condition in chapter 2. And you hath he quickened or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked. Here they are. This is their life. They walked. You could just put in there, they lived. They lived. But the word is used, they walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That which you see in this world of rebellion was in you. It was in you. Don't forget it. And then he says, verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation, our behavior. We all lived this way in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. So here's the scene set by Paul. Don't think yourself to be distinct from those around you. Don't let the few years that have passed since your conversion there in Ephesus make you imagine that that you're distinct from all of them, the, the unwashed masses. You've been a Christian for a little while, you begin to look at the world and you say, well, you know, it's just like, it's like, the, like the Pharisee and the publican. I thank thee that I am not like this man. <laughs> you don't realize that by nature you're the same. And it's the same mercy that you need. And the only difference then is mercy. That's what verse 4 goes on to say in Ephesians 2. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. It's all the work of God. But people, they walk. They walk in darkness. They, they live in darkness using the same language that we mentioned in Ephesians 2. The people that walked or lived in darkness, they just continued on. And that's what we're confronted with. And it's not all outside the church, it's inside the church. People live in darkness. They walk in darkness. And they can put on a great front. They can walk into church like everyone else and say the same things and act the same way. And you could deceive me. You could deceive me for decades. And I would have no idea. I would have no idea. No clue. No clue that beyond these walls and into the, the area of where you work and, and your home. You know, that sometimes I wonder about that. Sometimes, <laughs> this is not to put anyone under pressure who's being interviewed for membership uh, in the near future, but <laughs> sometimes I wonder, you know, really we're interviewing people for membership. Maybe part of that interview should really be, here, can you bring someone in who works with you? Can we interview them? Can we ask them a few questions to see whether it ties in, whether there's a consistency with what you say you are and what actually men see? <laughs> yes, these great, great businessmen, they come in, they come in and you think to yourself, yes, I... I think I'd like to interview your secretary. Does he do everything above board? Does he? Is he? Ah, you get the point. See, because you can put on a show. And then that, that shows that you're, you're still walking in darkness. You're still in darkness. Yeah, and you're totally at ease with it. And you've actually come to a point where you're numb to the contrast between what's really happening within the body of Christ and your life. You don't see the disparity. Just like those in Galilee. And some of them would have went through religious activity. Those in Isaiah's day, they were still offering sacrifice and going through the motions. They had things in their life that would give, give the, the, an insight that there was something religious or spiritual about them. But they're walking in darkness. And so it was when Christ arrived. He came into a scene of time, into a period in when these people, many of which had, had a certain amount of religious activity, but they were still walking in darkness. And it was completely acceptable to them. Again, let's, let's further hammer this. this why, why, you're, why, why I'm worried. Let, let me put it this way. Why is it that I, as a preacher, am worried that you don't get it? That I, I have a concern that, that you, by nature, you don't want Christ. You're not interested in the light. You're content in the darkness. I am fighting against the very nature of your being. Turn to John 3. John chapter 3. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. 
John 3, verse 16, the well-known words of verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, you can perish. You can. But He's given a Son, the Son who is the light, so you don't perish. But let's go on. God sent not a Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Well, why wouldn't he believe? Why wouldn't he believe? Why? The Son of God has come. Why wouldn't he believe? Why? Why not believe? Verse 19. This is the condemnation. The light is come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. See, he doesn't want to come. You come into the light. It's, it's like this. Alcoholics don't want to drink when the preacher's around, if he's an honorable man, or some other upstanding Christian. He doesn't want to be drunk and drink in the presence of someone who lives a holy life. He wants the company of others who will get involved in the same behavior. They don't tell their dirty jokes at work when it's just you and them and you're a a God-fearing individual who fears God. They they don't tell you those jokes because, because they know there's not a kinship. And they don't want the exposure of, of your light on their deeds. They don't want it. So they huddle together. They huddle together in some other part of the place where you work. They all huddle together and they share, they share their filth. That's what happens. That's what happens. They love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. They run away from it. Neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But, but, here's the difference. He that doeth truth, the honest man, the sincere man before God, the man who's real before God, he comes to the light. Why would he come to the light? That his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. He's coming. He's coming to be exposed. He's coming to make sure that it's, it's real between him and God. He's not trying to hide anything. He wants to know, oh, there's sin in my life. Yes, well, then I'll run to Christ. I don't want sin hidden from me. I want to, I want to know it. Oh, blessed Spirit of God, teach me. Teach me my sin that I may put it under the blood. Now, that's what you want, you see, as a Christian. <laughs> you, want to, you want the news, you know. It's like, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Yes, it's the exposure of a friend to your sin. When he comes and says, brother, you ought not to have said that. And you take stock and you think, you know what? With your own assessment of it, you realize you have a point. And you embrace it so that you can repent of it and right the wrongs. Those that love the light, that's what they want. But not, not those who walk in darkness. So, so you see, so by nature, by nature, this is where you are. This is what you want. And so I stand before you thinking, well, here's your nature, right? You know, how, <laughs> how do you get a dog to say meow, right? Like a cat. I mean, 
So, so I'm dealing with, with, with that kind of a, a challenge. You're going to do what is in your nature to do. And I'm up here preaching, pleading for a miracle from God in your life. Also note, it's a frightening condition for natural man. It may be acceptable, an acceptable existence, but it ought to be frightening. These people that walk in darkness, they may find their condition acceptable, but they ought to be petrified. They should be. They don't realize it. They seem to live in ignorance of it. But, but, but here it is. Here they are. They walk in darkness. They're, they're like the sinner who won't come to the light, who, who enjoys his darkness. Such a sinner like that is, is like the mouse that's nibbling on the cheese in the trap and enjoying it, not realizing that death is imminent, right? <laughs> that little moment of time where this is good cheddar before it's over and they're gone. And that's the way the sinner is. They kind of walk in darkness. And they, they nibble at all that the darkness has to offer. And they have no interest in the light. And they think that life is great. They live oblivious to the judgment that hangs over them, the death that is coming their way. So, for these people that walk in darkness, death is at the door, and they don't know it. They don't realize it. Just like you. You think you've got all the time in the world. You're here, here tonight thinking, I'll not die. You haven't planned for that. That's not, that's not in your Google calendar, is it? Death. You haven't planned for that. You haven't. You don't imagine that's going to happen. And then it could for any one of us. For any one of us. And so the people who walked in darkness, these people are just like, they're just like many today. They walk amidst their darkness, oblivious. And when they, when they think about the light, when they see the light, of course, uh, this light comes to them. Not everyone responds the same way. And the problem today, the problem today is we have a, we have a tendency to reshape the light. We, we, the, the light of Christ is not the real light that we want. So there are people that say they've come to the light. They're no longer walking in darkness. They've come to the light, but have they really? What light have they come to? Often they come to a Christ that does not call sinners to repentance. They come to a Christ that does not demand complete allegiance and the surrender of your will. They come to a Christ that does not care about truth and heresy. They, they reshape the Christ that they come to. So I ask you then, do you come and do you love, rather, the real light? Are you walking in darkness or do you really appreciate the true light? The light that calls you to repentance. And you say, yes, I'm okay with that. No, no, I'm, I actually am for that. I am for a call to repentance. Because I know who I am, and I know what I need. And you, you appreciate the call to complete allegiance and the surrender of your will. You embrace it because it's not about you anymore. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And you embrace that. You embrace that as the foundation of your entire purpose. Your entire purpose is God-centered. God is not a means to an end for you. God is the end. Oh, oh, what a difference. What a difference when you get that into your heart. Most of the church, for most of the church, God is a means to an end. So they kind of live their lives whatever way they want, but, but God is a means to a little habitation on a fluffy cloud someday with a harp in their hand that will, that, that's better than the judgment, right? God is a means to that end, avoiding the judgment. He is a, a ticket out of hell. He is a means to an end. That's all. That's all. That, that's, that's, that's prevalent in Christian churches, in so-called gospel-preaching churches. God's a means to an end. But the Christian, the one who no longer walks in darkness, who, who has truly seen the light, they say, no, that's the end. <laughs> Christ is the end. He is the whole purpose. 
He is everything now and hereafter. And that transformed your life. Just, just get that. Get that into your mind. Christian, get that. Get it. God's not a means to an end. He's not. He is the end. He is the whole purpose of your existence. All things were made by Him. And they were made, what? For thy pleasure. For thy pleasure they are and were created. Revelation 4, 11. For his pleasure. That's, that's life transforming. And the true, the true one who has seen the light, who is no longer interested in the darkness, they, they lap that up. So do you, do you understand that? Do, what is Christ to you? What is Christ to you? What gives evidence in your life that Christ is everything? Like your whole life is surrounded by this, this is, is hedged into this, it's all for His glory. It's all for His glory, my life, my death, how I run my affairs, it's all for Him. He can, he can take it all away if He so, sees so, that it pleases Him so to do. He can take it. Lord, go ahead. Go ahead. It's, it's not what I would will. But you can take the church. You can. If you have some other plan, then, then take it. If that's what brings glory to you. And my health and my wealth and status and position and everything. Oh, just, I'll tell you, you know you're getting places. You know you're growing. You know someone's growing when they come to that point of total surrender. It's all about him. And so most, most, most in the church, they have not realized that. They are still walking in darkness. And they have fashioned a Christ after their own imagination. One that gives approval to their own little idols and their way of living. So I'm here try and wake you up. Not that I can do it, but he uses means and he uses his word. And Paul was told he was encouraged that God would use preaching to turn men from darkness to light. And that's what I'm endeavoring to do. So I warn you then, as Paul did to the Ephesians again, Ephesians 4, 17 through 18, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Don't, don't walk in the darkness. In the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So I'm issuing, I'm issuing a call. Oh, listen to me, friend. Listen, listen. Are you walking in darkness? Or is your whole life the light? You say, you know, yes, it is. The, my whole existence is the light. That's what I want. That's way I'm, the way I'm endeavoring to live. You're in a good place. You're in a good place. Because sometimes life strips you of everything. It does. But it can't strip you of the light. It can't. And so there you will be, perhaps, someday, if God so gives you, let's say, a decline in health, that you're not killed suddenly. You'll have a decline in health. And you'll realize, lying there, that all that you thought you had, it's, it's like slipping through your fingers. You don't have it anymore. You don't have it. You don't have your plans. You don't have your wealth. You don't have it. It might be there in figures in your bank account, but you don't have it. You don't have it. You can't do anything with it. You're, you're staring death in the face. It's slipping through your fingers. And your health and your life is slipping through your fingers. It's like the sand of the timer, the egg timer just, it's just, it's all just incessantly flowing out. And you realize I don't have anything. 
And in that moment you realize, or you may not, whether you have the light. I have the light. I have Christ. And even as my health disappears, Christ is still here. He is with me. So, the great darkness. Note also, secondly, the shadow of death. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death. I get from this language, in the way it's worded, they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, that they are at ease again, that they are at home in the land of the shadow of death. They've grown accustomed to it. And again, why not? We, we read Ephesians 2 already. Men are dead in trespasses and sins. And they're comfortable. They're comfortable with death. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're comfortable with death. No, they shouldn't be. They really should not be. They should fear. David was a man who was spiritually minded. I think we'd all agree. He was a spiritually minded man. And he spoke about this, this land of the shadow of death, or as he called it, the valley of the shadow of death. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So he, he is giving insight there. The implication is men ought, when they're there, when they're in that land of death or that valley of the shadow, when they're there, when they're living in an experience of death, they ought to fear. And there's only one thing that can alleviate that fear, and it's the presence of their God. So that's the reason why he doesn't need to fear, thou art with me. Thou art with me. Even there, in the most frightening condition of life, I need not fear. Because God's with me. But men don't understand this. They, they, they are completely at ease in this place. They dwell in the land of the shadow of death, numb to the danger. They don't get it. And they love it. They're not just accustomed or eased to it. They actually love it. They love to dwell in the land of the shadow of death. They, they, they love it. They love it. They do. They really do. They love their immorality. They love their lies, their drugs and intoxication, their vanity and profanity, their blasphemy and idolatry. They love all of this, even though it brings death to their purpose, death to their health, death to their relationships. Yeah, they don't advertise that with the beer ads, do they? They advertise their, their alcohol in such a way that yeah, it's appealing. Of course, it's meant to sell you on it. But they don't, they don't advertise. <laughs> you may lose your spouse. spouse. <laughs> you may lose your family. You know, like, like they do with all the pharmaceutical drugs. The little small, the, 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 the little print they have that the guy runs at three times the speed through. So you can't quite catch even what he's saying. You know, all the side effects, right? But they're selling you on that alcohol. And there should be this, this disclaimer at the bottom. May destroy your life. And they don't. Oh, it took a long time before they put it on cigarettes. Smoking kills. Eventually. But man, choose death. They choose this place. Think of it. Proverbs is full of this. Just a select few verses here. Proverbs 2.18. The immoral woman. Her house inclineth unto death, and her paths unto the dead. <laughs> she leads that way. Everyone in her, in her sphere is led to death. When Christ is portrayed as wisdom, personified in Proverbs 8, verse 36, it is said, All they that hate me love death. You hate Christ, you hate wisdom, you love death. Proverbs eleven nineteen: He that pursueth evil pursueth it to his own death. Proverbs fourteen twelve: There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. 
So, so this, is, this is again where men are. They dwell in the land of the shadow of death. They're on this place and they're totally at ease with it. Which brings us then thirdly and finally to consider the new dawn. We have seen the great darkness, the shadow of death. Let's see the new dawn. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Go for a moment to Luke chapter 1. You see what Zechariah said about the the life of, of John the Baptist. Because he understood this. He understood that Christ is, is this great light that changes everything for those that receive him. Look, one verse. Well, we'll just read from verse 76. So he is speaking here from verse 67. Zacharias, being filled with the Holy Ghost, prophesied. Verse 76, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. There's the dawn. The dawn has visited us from on high. Why? To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Do you think Isaiah 9-2 is in his mind? Do you think? Of course it is. And he is saying John's ministry, John's ministry is prepare the way for the one who will give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Do you have peace? Do you? Do you have real peace? Do you have peace with God? Do you know as well as you can know anything, do you know that should your time be up before you even get to Christmas, do you know that you have received this peace? Christ's ministry is to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And many of them didn't know it. They didn't know it. There's Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he is called. And there's there's a woman down by a riverside offering prayer And through the Apostle Paul, God opens her heart. These people are brought into peace. They didn't even know that they were in darkness, in the shadow of death. And through the ministry of Christ and the ministry of His apostles and down through the ages, people have been brought and led into peace because upon them the light has shined and they've received that light. They have not turned away from it. They have not run from it. Or hidden themselves from it. So we can testify, like those in Colossae, Colossians 1, verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, yes, praising Him, giving thanks, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Right? He has made us to enjoy what the saints in light Enjoy us, us in Gentile regions, us in unexpected places where God has visited. We might never have imagined He would go there, but He did. And He says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. He has delivered us from darkness. He has transformed Oh, and it is my desire, it is my desire that everyone here has had that testimony or has and possesses that testimony. You've had this experience. So I ask you, are you saved? Your response isn't, I go to this church or I'm a member of that church or 
any other story that avoids the crux of the matter. Are you saved? That is, did you know yourself lost and you're in darkness and in the, in the shadow of death and you, one day you, you realized it, you realized it, the dawn came, the dawn came and you just awakened. And before you were not, before you were carelessly walking through life, indifferent, indifferent. You didn't care. You did not care. I look back, and that was me. I mean, you talk about careless. You talk about indifference. I'm still amazed. I am still amazed at how, how quickly, how suddenly, the Spirit opened my eyes. How did, how did that happen? I wasn't, I think I literally had no inkling in my heart for it. I had a whole host of reasons in my mind against it. But once you see, once you realize you're a sinner and you're lost and you're in darkness, it's like, that's what I need. Christ is the only medicine for lost sinners, He's the only one who can save. So if I lose everything but have him, I have, I have more than those who may have kingdoms, but no Christ. So I I want you to leave tonight knowing that you have come to the light and that you live in the light and you have fellowship with the light and It has shined. Yes, Christ has shined into your heart. That's all I want. That's that's, that's what I desire more than anything else. Every single person here knows they possess the true light that cometh into the world. And I am am here and there's there's a spiritual battle going on because there's someone, there's someone who is proactive in trying to prevent you from believing. Jesus spoke of him as being like the fowls of the air who, who comes and steals away the seed of the word. So, so as I'm preaching, he's, I, I'd, I'd love to know more about that. I would. I would love to know more. What way does he steal the word? How is he doing it? How is he doing it? What's he doing right now in the hearts of those here? Because he is. He's proactively. He hates the word of God. He hates the gospel. He hates calls to repentance. He hates those who just say, look, behold the Lamb. Run to Christ. Get to the light. Get out of the darkness. Have your sins forgiven. He's totally against that. And Paul writes of him in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, that the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. He's actively enforcing the blindness. He sees you there, walking in darkness, as it were, and he says, well, let me add a little more darkness. Let me contribute. Let's just make sure no light gets in. Because the one thing he fears, Paul says, is the gospel. Lest the light, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, he hates it. He hates it. Oh, Lord. Lord, get the victory over him. Suppress. Suppress his activity. He wants you to stay in darkness. Devil. All of his minions. All those that fell with him. Actively working to keep you in darkness. And to be content. And even find reasons that you should continue in that place. All sorts of things going on in your mind. Procrastination. Arguments against the legitimacy of the gospel. All sorts of stuff. Fear of man. What your friends might think. What it, what it, might, what it might mean for you to be a real Christian. Like, like what? How might that change things? And so Satan comes. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine onto them. 
the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. And Christ came, became man, came into this world to bring light, to flood the world with light. And, and men run from it. And they don't want anything to do with it. But, but there are a few. There are always a few. There are always a few. And they're like, yes, yes, I want that light. So I wonder, I wonder, I wonder are you listening to Satan? I wonder is your response, yes, yes, I'll stay in darkness and you're in cohorts with the devil. Or, or, or you hear the word of Christ. John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but has passed from death unto life. You come out of the land of the shadow of death and you come into life and light. So who do you follow? Who are you listening to? I'm just pointing the way. You make the decision who you follow here tonight. And you are making a decision. You can't be neutral. You can't say, my decision is another time. And think that that's not a no. It is a no. To delay is to deny, it is to go against the will of Christ and to follow the devil himself. May the Lord have mercy on your soul. Let's bow together in prayer. As we draw to a close this evening, I want to, right where you are, give the final word and an encouragement to you to seek the Lord while he may be found. I don't know where you stand, but you know, you know that conversation that's going on in your heart. Ask yourself, ask yourself, over the last number of months. Are you walking in darkness? Or are you walking in the light? Are you making friendship with darkness or friendship with light? Are you loving the Word of God or do you spend time in the words of men through all sorts of media and formats? Are you eternally minded? Do you think about heaven do you consider your latter end? Do you understand the weight of your sin and lament it? Or do you, do you sin with little consideration? Where you are tonight, the Lord will hear your prayer, your prayer of repentance. Lord, we ask, give grace. Give grace to repent grace to turn to the light. We bless thee for Christ. Oh, what a new dawn. And we're thankful he comes into unexpected places, places that have no right to enjoy him. But he has come here. He has come to Greenville. Bless God. And he has come into our hearts. Praise thy name. And the light has come into my soul and into the souls of many here tonight. And we rejoice. We pray, Lord, that Thou wilt impress upon the hearts of the unbelieving here the urgency of their condition, the need for them to run to Christ now. Give them grace to turn, to look and to live, to trust 
and obey Christ in His gospel. Be with those that go downstairs in the time of fellowship here and there. Bless the food that's provided. Enable us, Lord, to be doing Your will throughout this week. And empower this congregation to shine brightly in this neighborhood. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever.